Welcome to the Space Biff Spacecast. As always, my name is Dan Thoreau. I wandered in off the street, but I'm excited that I did today because I am joined by a very exciting design team. Um, I am joined by Armando Canales. Um, he will be going by Mo, apparently. Say hi, Mo. Hello. Hello. Um, Mo is the designer of a recent game that I happened to love. I rated it 10 out of 10 on Board Game Geek, though, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean as much as you might think it does. And um, he is joined today by Lyndon Martin. Hey, how's it going? And Brian Wilcut. Hey, this is Brian. So why don't we uh, why don't we start by just having each of you tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're here? Okay, yeah, but before that, what do you mean 10 out of 10 uh, is not 10 out of 10? I'm going to take that as a legitimate 10. You can take that as a legitimate 10. For sure. I, I am only talking about the co-authorship. Oh, okay. That's cool. Okay, so I'm Mo. I'm in a little, uh, me and Lyndon are in a little small town in La Mesa, Texas, and Brian's in the bigger town, Lubbock. Oh. Uh, what else can we say? The uh, the box for the cost has your name on it, Mo. But I in the rules it does say that Lyndon and Brian are co-authors. So this is an industry where, of course, uh, development is often uncredited. So what does it mean to have co-authors? Yeah, that's um, pretty much it. Uh, I would say I'm a developer. Uh, I'm not really a co-designer so much as uh, Mo comes up with the ideas and. Uh, me and Brian, we try to hammer them out into something a little better. So did you have distinct roles with that? Like one of you were the trains, one of you was the uh, factories? Uh, no, it was, uh, it was an all-in-one effort. No, who's the math guy? <clears throat> That's mostly Mo, oddly enough. Oh, okay. And what yeah, were you saying, kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and everything else in life, they make me the math guy. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to design, and I guess that's because I'm Asian, but when it uh, comes to design, Mo's the math guy because he thinks about games more that way than Lyndon and I do. Oh, okay. Definitely way more than I do. Yeah. Well, I would say that, uh, you know, the design, the actual design part is more in the development. You know, you can come to a, a table with some crazy ideas and those ideas don't mean a whole lot unless you have some people that can iron those out and make those a game. So mm -hmm. I would say we were all designers and developers on this, even though I might have come to the table with some crazy stuff. Um, it wouldn't be a game without the team. Yeah. So did you know each other before or did you come together through design or what? what's the nature of your acquaintance? Oh. Uh. Well, this is our game group for the most part. Oh, okay. As, uh, as Mo, Brian, and myself, uh, we've been playing games together for several years now, what, five or six? Yeah, and I guess um, Mo and I have really known each other for about 22 years now. Uh, holy holy monkey, you're going to date me now? Yeah, 21. I'm really <laughs> old now. We met um, at a local, at one, of, actually it was a couple of different FLGSs we ran into each other a long time ago when we were playing magic back in the beta and unlimited days mm -hmm. uh and we just kind of hit it off and we actually started kind of uh 
dabbling in game design back then, we came up with some ideas that, you know, a lot of people do on their first design. They just want to put everything they can that they ever wanted in a game in one game. Yeah. And you get that kind of disaster. But um, we've just kept in touch and kept playing games over the years, even though, you know, Mo's moved around a couple of times. Um, nothing in West Texas is is close or far. I mean, you know, you drive an hour and that's just what it is. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we met Lyndon about, I don't know, five or six years ago now, I think. Yeah. Oddly enough, it was in the same way you just described. Uh, I was at a game store playing 40K and I was out front smoking when I smoked. And uh, I saw Mo come out with some Dominion. And I'm like, ah, I've heard of that game. And he's like, well, you want to play board games? I'm like, sure. And six years later, we've done nothing but play board games almost every weekend. And then we made a few. So what was that? uh, What was your first big game that you put everything into it? Oh, gosh, that was a long time ago. It was called Accession and uh, kind of had a big, huge world and resource management and politics and movement and combat and um it was a little well, that was like that was like back in 94 95 some, yeah i mean you know, it was wow. it was a long long it was a little of everything and a lot of nothing is what it amounted <laughs> to <laughs> well uh, we we designed quite a few more games than that at the time but we just that was the game that was our first together and we designed like four or five other games that we didn't really take all the way to a prototype, but you know, we had our ideas written down. Oh, actually, no, we did have prototypes. We just didn't yeah. go further with the prototype. We didn't show them to many people. That one we actually showed to some people and it went okay. I mean, there was a lot of rough stuff and it was very evident that we needed to do some more work and we just had some things out of whack. The scale of the map, for one thing, I remember was just huge. And if we'd actually played the game out to conclusion, it would have taken them probably several hours of playing before they even actually met uh, to test out oh, the right. combat system. So we just kind of, you know, had a, had a lot of learning to do. But after everybody left on that first playtest session, Mo and I just kind of sat around and we're like, wow, there were people actually like thinking and trying to figure out how to convert these resources and what to do and play a game. And it was something that we created. And that was really cool just to like see people playing something that we did. And it actually kind of worked more or less. Yeah. So is this so is the cost the first game that you've had published? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um we've I would say in my history the cost is probably like the ninth or tenth game I've worked on and the first actually published game. Mm-hmm. Together, I guess this is probably you know, if you want to think about the three of us really getting serious about it and saying, hey, we're going to do this and we're either going to take it to Kickstarter or we're going to find a publisher or someone's going to win the lottery and we're going to publish ourselves. Uh, this would probably be like the third or fourth down the line of the collaboration, but it's the one that we've obviously taken taken the furthest so far. Mm-hmm. So how did you get plugged in with Uli of Spillworks? Oh, I think all three of us were fans of his other previous games. Uh, I know I really enjoy Arkwright and Colon Colony. And uh, we were all at a heavy con and we met up with Uli there at a heavy con. Yeah, I think that was heavy con four, I think. I think, yeah, the last one in Denver. I mean, Mo had reached out to him before and said, hey, 
we'd like to show you some games and if you have time you're going to be there blah 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 and then uh, so he was aware that we were going to be tracking him down we didn't just totally jump him and drag him into a dark alley and, and force him to look at our games <laughs> yeah um, and it at that con, it, I, he he left with I think three of our prototypes. Yeah, yeah. We really to, to give a shout out to um, Jason Dinger, he uh, of uh, Captains of the Golf Design. <clears throat> he'd kind of, you know, he'd previously just gotten that published what a year before, and he'd kind of talked our he'd played our prototype and really talked it up to Uli, uh, a couple of our prototypes, and kind of put in a good word for us, and then. I was actually playing a prototype of a couple of Uli's games before we showed him ours. And there may or may not have been a bottle of scotch that came out and got opened and <laughs> may have helped a little with the social lubrication there. So, so I want to ask you the big question that it seems like a lot of people on board game geek have been asking, um, why asbestos? Well, I thought this was going to be the dinosaur questions. Like what's your favorite dinosaur? Like you asked Tim Russell. <laughs> okay, well, what what is your favorite dinosaur, Mo? I, I can tell you're feeling disappointed about that. <laughs> no, um, we chose, I think, asbestos because, um, well, for, for one, I'd always been fascinated with, with the idea that there was, uh, you know, kind of like lead paint. It's this thing that, that existed in our culture that uh, we just took for granted as, as good and... Um, you know, seeing documentaries about it, how, uh, I don't know, how it's affected so many, so many people's lives in a negative way, and it's not something that's on the forefront of, okay, so here's bad stuff that um, that's produced and that people uh, just take for granted as not being bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't and, know. And when it was Go discovered, you know, initially it was just such the wonder material for the time. I mean, it was just, hey, here's this naturally occurring mineral that's kind of fibrous. And oh my gosh, it's also heat resistant and it doesn't conduct electricity. Wow, we can put this in everything. Yeah. And they pretty much did. And it wasn't until, you know, the, the effects of a lot of the horrible diseases that come out of this don't show up for anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40 years down the line. So it was a long time before they realized that, hey, wow, maybe this is kind of a bad thing. And, you know, even within our lifetimes, um, it wasn't until 1987 that the WHO, the World Health Organization, declared this a human carcinogen. I mean, 1987, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, that's a long time ago now, but that's within our lifetimes. And that's kind of right. a, that's still a pretty crazy thing. And, well, uh, and then, and then also, uh, Basically, it was a the big thing for me was watching the uh, Vice documentary where they showed Canada, and at that time, at the the time of not of watching the documentary, but of when it was made, and that was pre two thousand eighteen. Uh, at that time, Canada was producing asbestos and shipping it to India, oh. and in the documentary, they showed, uh, you know people in in Canada who had strict regulations on how to deal with asbestos and ship it and then you would see it get to India and right then the the regulations just went out the window so you go from people that were in like something that looked like a hazmat suit to people 
not even wearing masks, dealing with this, uh, like, uh, bags of the stuff. And that's just, how did we get here? You know, how does, how does a country get to that, to that point where they can mine something and sell it, but they won't use it in their own country. Mm -hmm. That's just a crazy idea. So it's so crazy. In fact, that I'm curious. So Mo, was this your idea to make a game about asbestos? I, yes, it was. And at first it was, I think it was in passing and maybe almost joking that, Hey, our next game is going to be about asbestos. But the more we talked about it and thought about it, the more it just made all the sense in the world. Um, in a lot of our other games that are not seen by the public, uh, the themes have always been different. And this sounded like something maybe that would be uh, right up our alley. I think definitely something to hold our interest. Yeah. So Lyndon and Brian, how did you feel when Mo came up with this idea to design this game? Was that just something that excited you or were you a little bit, you know, you're nuts. We don't want to make a game about this toxic mineral fiber. Uh, no, for me, it was, uh, it was kind of a natural progression. Like uh, I enjoy games with, with out there themes like infamous traffic and mm-hmm. things of that sort. So I already enjoy games that ask the hard questions. Like you had colonialism from Spielworks. Yeah. And uh, when Mo brought us this, or brought this up, it's like, uh, you know, most of us, we've all played economic games. You know, those games feature types of businesses, but I've never played a game where, uh, where you're playing a business and the lives of your workers are on the line like this. And right from the very beginning, that was part of uh, the design. And so, uh, yeah, I was on board right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, I think before even really talked about it as a game, Mo just said to me, Hey, you should check out these couple documentaries that are on YouTube or Netflix. And it's just crazy. What, what goes on in them. And he kind of described them. One scene he described is there's one of them that this uh, reporter goes to Russia and she's visiting an open pit mine in, because all asbestos is done in open pit mining, uh, visited a pit, open pit mine in Russia and she's wearing a full hazmat suit. And, you know, this is modern, you know, made in like 2016 or 2017. And all these miners are coming up to her just wearing like t-shirts and hard hats. And they, they're looking at her like she's some kind of alien because uh, she's wearing all this gear and they're like taking selfies with her and stuff like what what is this crazy person doing and they're just like oh yeah in mother russia asbestos make you strong you know kind of kind of deal and uh he's just like you should watch these man it's just crazy and and mo always watches like crazy documentaries like hey you should check this out this is crazy so i watched those and i was like yeah this is really kind of weird um and kind of disturbing that Canada at the time, because this was also part of the documentaries, as Mo pointed out, was, you know, recognizing that, hey, this is not something we want to expose to our own citizens, but we sure don't mind if they make a profit on it. Yeah. And so that's really what sparked a discussion of like, how does, how does that come in a government and, and what leads to that kind of decision? And then what eventually makes that go away? And so then I started doing a lot of research on it and learned more about asbestos legislation and asbestos than I ever thought I would. Certainly. So some of the some of the responses, uh, I, I feel like the responses have been broadly positive. Um, but but there there is, for instance, a, a thread on Board Game Geek where some of the people have said, for instance, that you're selling graves off 
selling games off of fresh graves. Um, how, how would you respond to that sort of a, a statement? Um, do you feel it's fair for games? It sounds like you do feel it's fair for games to tackle tough subject matter. Well, um, I'll start this off by saying I remember listening to, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History mm-hmm. when he's talking about the, uh, I think it's the Mongol episodes, and he's talking about talking to his professor about um, dealing with, he was writing a paper on Mongol military tactics, and this professor kept bringing up, well, what about, you know, what about the bodies? What about the casualties? And so that's something that um, I think modern day board games don't deal with. We deal with a lot of bad things and good things, but we don't really deal with the harshness of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was extremely important. So uh, in our hobby, I think this is just something that needs to be put there. You know, what about the bodies? What about if we're gonna if we're gonna do a game and we're gonna talk about asbestos? Well, what about uh, the exploitation of the worker mm-hmm. that needs to be shown. Otherwise there's no point in doing this, this game. There's no point in talking about asbestos. I mean, we need to make it about something else and make it where there is no uh, human cost because in asbestos, there is a human cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right from the very beginning, uh, the, the passing or the safety of your workers had to be a paramount of importance that wasn't something we could skimp on and still make a good game. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of approach the whole um, question and discussion of are we being insensitive or is this a topic that shouldn't be broached? I mean, there's a lot of games out there that have a lot of violence in them and a lot of deaths in them, whether it's a, you know, an old hex and chit counter war game. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's, you know, some of the, maybe something like um, Twilight Imperium or something. I mean, there's a lot of violence, Eclipse, whatever, in these games, yet they seem to get glossed over because it seems further removed and not real. Right. You know, and I'm sure if you're playing a game about the Vietnam War or the War on Terror in Afghanistan or something, it's very real to you. But for a lot of us, war seems really distant and far. But I think this hits home to a lot of people because asbestos is a lot closer to home for most people. Sure. Um, and it's something that either they could have had a family member that was out there mining or they could have been affected by, you know, being exposed to it in like a work environment or something. So yeah. I think if we'd made, you know, a game about coal mining or something like that, it would have been the same kind of general reactions that we're getting. But like Mo said, I think it's an important discussion to have. You know, I know that all all of us on this podcast enjoy games like 18xx or Age of Steam that kind of gloss over the whole um, inhumanity and, and hor- um, horrors of the exploitation of migrant workers and things like that to build some of those early rails, especially the ones in America. So uh doesn't mean that it's one treatment's better than the other. It's just a different approach, and this was the one that we chose to take. Mm-hmm. I think also it, it advances the hobby a little bit. Um, I'm not saying in a good way or a bad way. It just advances the hobby to be able to talk about those things. Um, if you also in the same uh, podcast, Dan Carlin talks about the efficiency of the Mongols 
being able to deal with actually um, executing uh, individuals when they took over uh, a town or an encampment. Well, that's usually glossed over. You don't think about uh, the logistics of having to do something that horrible. Well, we decided not to gloss over uh, the exploitation of the workers. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not saying we did it well or did it bad. We did it enough. Um, but it's a start. It's, it's something that we didn't see and we wanted to put in there. Well, and I, I I appreciate that you put it in there. So, um, in my own review of the cost, I, I mentioned that I actually think it's a very moral game, uh, for being willing to confront that face on. Um, do you think that's a fair assessment? Is that something you were going for? Is that something you'd like to see from other games or is that maybe going too far? What, what do you think? I'll let Lyndon start this one. This one's uh, the morality thing. Yeah, for me, it, it asks the question, well, it tries to answer or show you how to answer the question of, uh, you see these horrible things that the companies and the people that run them do, and, and people ask themselves, well, well, how could this happen? Uh, how in the world could somebody do that to somebody? And instead of trying to give you an answer, we just put you in the shoes of that person running that company. I mean, it's, it's quite easy to see once you're in the game uh, how something like that could happen. And this goes right to the bottom line. Uh, when you're in charge of making the profits go up, uh, you know, what steps are you willing to take? Yeah. I mean, you can play this game completely safe. Uh, I've been saying that ever since the game came out. And we even have a a stream of a game uh, Mo and I played with one of our friends, uh, Mr. Mr. Snyder. And I played the game safe start to finish and, and I won. And so, yeah, a- answering the question of, of how could this ever happen? You know, that, this game for me is just uh, trying to shine a light on, on that question. I think the game asks questions of just game playing in general, like how important is it for you to win and how short-sighted will you be in the pursuit of that victory? So you've mentioned a few times that you chose to represent the human toll. I mean, it's right there in the title of the game. So how did you choose to represent that human toll? And were there other representations you considered? Well, I think the, the big problem was going to be, um, how do you represent the human toll over a long period of time? Um, because you have litigation. So, you know, if you're at all familiar with, uh, what is it? Mesothelioma commercials, Mm -hmm. uh, you're used to hearing about the litigation and it's this, I guess it's a, uh, it's a problem that's not like in the game we represent it as a dead worker and you don't pay. And then uh, if you decide to pay. So basically if you decide to recognize that you have dead workers and you, you recognize that as best as is an issue, well then you are going to start paying litigation on these workers that have already been gone. You're, you're paying for the dead stack of workers that you, uh, that you neglect early on. Um, I think that the reason that we're, 
we're doing that is just to show that once you accept that asbestos is bad and you want to pay for the safety of your workers, you have to look at the long term of what you've done so far. And there's really no turning back once you decide to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for those who choose not to accept their responsibility and just go for short-term gains, then we're saying that uh, you just simply gloss over those deaths. You you don't pay attention to those deaths because the moment that you do, you have to pay attention to everybody, everybody that's ever worked for you, for the existence of your of your minds, all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and if you ignore it completely in your company, someone's going to pay attention for you. In this case, it's the abstracted government, right? It's the politics. Uh, it gets regulated out of existence and the country and the game goes away, right? So even if you're not paying attention to it, someone is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, all of these things obviously have to be abstracted a little bit and simplified a little bit just for the sake of gameplay. I mean, we didn't want to make a game that was so much of a lesson and a hit you in the face with the history and everything that it wasn't playable. Because first mm-hmm. and foremost, we wanted to make a game that was fun and that people could play. So one of the one of the things you've mentioned, Brian, that I find fascinating about the cost is that it has that shared player incentive space um, where you might not under some circumstances you will and sometimes you won't want to pay for your safety for the safety of your workers um, just to keep a company open and buying your products um, and, I, and I find that fascinating that when a country closes you're losing a pretty significant investment and there's a lot in in the cost that goes into that um, because you have an investment system where you can really only invest in one country at a time and you're buying their currency and, and your action selection. So there's, there are a lot of systems that you're using to go into that. Um, so it, it's such an entangled design. It's so intricate. How long did it come? How long did it take for you to put all of that together and figure out the ways that that would function? Oh gosh, we've been through many iterations of this. Uh, I mean, I think we really worked on this game probably for two or three years um, before we really thought we were ready to show it to a publisher. And it, you know, it started out with Mo, you know, coming in saying, "Hey, let's try this," and we'd, you know, play it, and and he'd kind of take notes and be like, "Okay, I'm gonna." work on this and then he'd come back a few days later or something else. And it was just that process of going back and forth of, you know, what works, what doesn't. And sometimes, and I remember we had a discussion at one point on how are we going to make the politics work in terms of um, closing down the countries and making them go away when it gets regulated out. But how does that really tie into everything? Um, And, you know, this is actually a, a very, late system of politics you know we've been through a lot of different versions of that through the game so it's just that whole process of play testing taking notes seeing what felt right or what worked right or what math right what didn't or what didn't you know maybe something math right but it didn't feel right 
you know, in terms of gameplay and then coming back and, and making changes and stuff. So it was a long process for us, though. I don't know. I'm, you know, I, what do you think about two or three years at least on this? Well, uh, it, it's kind of a, it jumps around like the first part probably didn't take very long. It probably took like two or three, maybe four months total, but then refining it down and fixing every little thing. Yeah. Uh, it was in development for a while. If you look at the specifics, but the overall picture, it was probably brought to the table similar, uh, about half of what it is now in about four months, but the refining of all those little things, that's what took a while. Um, I would also say that probably more important than the playtesting was the discussions after the playtesting. When we talked about, you know, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to say? What do these, what do these things represent in, in the real world? What are we trying to do and how can we simplify that? Those discussions were sometimes longer than the playtest because um, for me, I find it uh, extremely important to have those discussions of what are we trying to say that way we can simplify that. Were there ever any light bulb moments in those conversations? Oh, for sure. But I don't know if you could, or if I could find one specifically, but yeah, there were several epiphanies I had during this process. I would say uh, some of them that I can remember, I could I could relate specifically, but I I know that like um, like talking to Lyndon uh, in particular about train movement and how are we going to force uh, a strategy in the logistics of this? How can we make a, just a, a strategy on transport? Lyndon would just say something offhand like you know. Uh, they have to move this way. And then that would, that would be like a, a light bulb moment. And we'd be like, Oh, cool. You're right. We can, we can force this. And then we would just bounce ideas off each other. And, or like Brian saying, um, you know, turn order is extremely important. We really need to think about it. So we would, we would discuss it and talk about it. And that's probably like turn order being one of the most controversial parts of the game, I think. So, uh, I, I would agree. <laughs> um, what what makes the turn order so controversial for the listeners who uh, maybe haven't heard of the cost or how it works? So essentially, uh, we have a system where you kind of got a feel for what we've talked about already, where you know, you're operating a company. The company can either pay for the safety of its workers or not. If they don't, then a worker is going to die. And at the end of a round, uh, whoever had the most deaths in their companies uh, that gets first choice on turn order. This automatically means that if someone had no deaths, then they're not going to have any choice in turn order at all. They're going to just be left with what the other players left them with. That's essentially how it works. Mm-hmm. So how did you arrive at that decision? Uh, you want to take this one, Mo? Or... Um, I can kind of talk about it. Um, well, the, okay. So first of all, it wasn't something taken lightly and it was something that we did play test a lot. And we talked about many, 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 many times. Um, I think the first part is turn order. For someone who's played the game many times knows that turn order isn't as important as it seems. If you play the game, well, like most games have a table life of maybe one or two plays. If you play it one or two times, you're going to consider 
turn order extremely important. Mm-hmm. But when we looked at turn, uh, how do you decide who gets turn order? Uh, the big thing to look at is you have to have a way that's to choose that's dynamic. So if you chose, let's say if we decided, oh, the person who who kills no workers or the person who who puts safety above everything else and has workers who do not die. So let's say everybody at the turn at the table decides turnover is important. So we are not going to kill any workers. Well, then that would mean that the turn order is not dynamic because everybody would stay in relative same turn order. Mm -hmm. And we also didn't want something arbitrary where we would just, okay, turn order shifts to the guy to the left. We needed, if we're going to put turn order, turn order in there, we wanted it to be something that was uh, controllable. Like if I want turn order, I have to be able to try to gain it. Sure. If we're going to say it's important. So... There's very few metrics in this game that you could use to gain turn order. Uh, one would be, hey, let's pay some money to get turn order. Uh, so it'd be sacrificing points for turn order. But as we started dissecting the game, we started looking at what are we saying? We are saying short-term gains over long-term gains. And the short-term gains are, sacrif- are at the you're basically sacrificing workers so that you could get ahead. Now you're looking at your bottom line. And if you look at that, you can also say that, um, in turn order, the person who's willing to go or fight for turn order is a willing, is the person willing to destroy their country that they're in. They're willing to sacrifice the long-term game. They're willing to possibly end this game early or lose their minds and mills in the country where they're killing their workers in order to gain turn order. Well, that's pretty ruthless, but that models what we're trying to model here. Mm-hmm. So it, it made all the sense in the world. And especially if you look at some of the other strategies, like if you want to do the transport strategy, you don't want turn order. You don't want to choose turn order. You want to be reactive. And as a reactive player, you're not, I mean, you have to look at it um, almost thematically where other players are making their actions and you are, you're trying to capitalize on what they did. Mm-hmm. And that would be, you know, not killing workers and being subject to what they decide. Yeah. Well, I was just going to kind of go back to a question you had earlier about aha moments and, and just kind of our design philosophy on this in general, because it ties into the, the turn order thing, you know, Mo mentioned that one of the things we we discussed a lot in our post playing discussions was how do what are we trying to model here, what are we trying to simulate, but how do we simplify that? And I, I think that's really important in a lot of games because there's, you know, it's easy to get a lot of bloat in a game, and I think mm-hmm. really the important one of the more important things that developers do is is take things out of games. They don't add to them. Sure. Um, they take things out or they refine them, and so when we were trying to model this and simulate it, you know, you can look at all the thematic reasons and then try to tie that, you know, or, or simulate the thematic reasons with a mechanical reason that's, you know, purely within the game system. But if you take it and simplify it, what are you trying to do? That's, you know, kind of what drove all of our decisions on this game. How do we make this simpler? 
how do we simplify it? What makes it the clearest and easiest so that we can just get right to the bare bones of it and make it work and tell the story? Was there anything specific that you trimmed out as developers that um, maybe had served the game's thematic interests but kept it from being as playable as it could have been? Um, Lyndon, you might have to jump in here too. I know we had, um, I mean, we've, we've gone through so many iterations of like movement rules and dealing, how do you deal with deaths? Um, how you deal with, um, politics to me, that's all kind of removing things. I don't know if there was ever any, like one big thing like, Oh, you can attack a player. And we took that out because, you know, I mean, that's an absurd example, but I can't think of anything that was just huge like that, that we just totally, totally ganked out of there. Can you Lyndon? Uh, I think the biggest thing was, uh, I don't know if it was originally, but definitely early on the, uh, the action grid, you know, where you place on emergency to take your actions. Uh, it was all squares and, uh, it was separated into quadrants. So, you know, uh, you know, just like how you'd plot an equation on a graph, you know, you have the upper right. left, the upper right. And, uh, you know, each quadrant corresponded to a country. And so you would play in that country's quadrant. And if you played on the borders between them, you could take your actions in either country. So earlier on, you could take actions in two different countries at once. And you also had four actions okay. and, uh, all that got trimmed down to what you see now. Oh yeah. And I can remember specifically, Lyndon saying, I don't think it feels right to be able to influence two countries at the same time. So was that me? That was, <laughs> yeah, that was you. Yeah, it, and that was a, a really good decision that allowed us to change the uh, action matrix to what it is now. I can remember specifically the, uh, each country was extreme, uh, how you dealt with, um, the exchange currency and, and how you dealt with, demand it was extremely convoluted when i first brought it to the table it was a mess i mean it seemed like it was a very complex game for something that need didn't need to be so complex and but sometimes the development is just saying that's not so good or that's too complex and that's just enough that's enough to fix a problem because when we bring it back it's not going to be that or sometimes we'll lyndon and i will look at mo and say so how are you going to write that rule when we have to put this in, in words? <laughs> That's enough for him to go back and say, well, maybe we need to change this because if we can't even figure out how we would write this down, right, right. then maybe it's it's not a good fit. Yeah, the movement rules as they stand now were almost that for me. That's probably the part I struggled with the most, uh, trying to write to paper, Yeah, was, uh, was the movement. Well, I've got to tip my hat to you, hat to you, Lyndon, um, even if you don't remember it, because one of my favorite things about the game um, is how you can only invest in one country at a time. And I feel like if you could invest in multiple countries, it would be a lot more common to intentionally close a country. Oh, yeah, for sure. One of the things I love about the game is that you don't have to pay for your workers. Um did you ever consider making workers be something that you actually had to expend any resources to gain? Or was their uh, expendable nature always a major part of uh, their employment? Well, I'll start to, at the time I was uh, really interested in the idea of in the game that you would have workers that were tied to regions and you would 
you would uh, collect those workers and then you might have to uh, get migrant workers. Mm -hmm. But it didn't tell the story that we were trying to tell. It added more and it went down this side story that we, we weren't trying to do that. We were, we needed to focus. So usually in our design process, I think the game starts off way more complicated than it needs to be. And then we try to break it down to where, what is the game and what are we trying to say? And then we put it to, we, we break it down to something very simple. And then once we get it to that, then we can start building the outer layers. Like the first time we showed uh, the cost at a heavy con, that would be a uh, heavy con three, I believe it had no uh, uh, political climate, but it's something that was always intended to be in it, but it needed to be broken down to a, a game that worked and that was good before we could add back to it. And so, uh, I think at one time we did think about, you know, paying uh, to employ workers, but the problem was that it wouldn't change the story. It was something that added, but it didn't change the story or it, it convoluted the story we were trying to tell. So we abstracted all of that out and said, well, uh, we're only dealing with profits here. We're yeah. only dealing with an amount of profits. We're not dealing with the overhead. We're not dealing with anything but profit. Okay. So that allowed us to abstract out quite a bit and, and tell a story that, that was more to the point. Yeah. So I can certainly see how migrant workers could make a great point, but it would feel distracting from the, what the cost is talking about. Well, and I think just the whole, if we had to pay whatever you want to call it, upkeep or salary or on them or feed them as it is in a lot of games, right? That yeah. would have just, distracted too from what we're you know the whole point of the safety or not that would have taken away from that as well so was there any point where you considered um including safety in some of the game's other systems so as it stands for instance um you you assess the safety of your workers anytime you mine asbestos or anytime you mill it um but did you ever consider um tying that also to the lives of say stevedores, the people who are moving and shipping the asbestos or the public who's purchasing it. Was that ever a consideration or was that too bloated? That sounds like an expansion. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I don't know if Mo ever considered it when I, from the very first time I saw this and then how we started playing it to me, that was never something that would have been important um, mm -hmm. with what we were getting at. Uh, because we were focusing on that odd dichotomy of the government of hate to pick on Canada, but that was where the documentary was of the government of Canada saying, yeah, you can make a profit on this. Just don't do it on our own citizens. Mm -hmm. And so really the brunt of that was born via the open pit miners or the guys in the mills, especially like Mo said, the ones in India working without any PPE. So to, to think about, transportation or end users um, wasn't really part of that little odd, you know, piece of whatever political history or political climate that we were kind of exploring. Mm -hmm. The reason I ask is um, a few years ago, we needed to dig a drainage uh, 
pipe into our basement. And it turned out that under the carpet and under the glue, there was a layer of asbestos paint. Um, and so we had some unfortunate experience with having to have the asbestos remediation people come in and, you know, hang up curtains and go in there dressed, uh, like the people meeting the aliens in arrival. And, uh, it was, it was just a, it was a painful process. It was, it was a bit well frustrating. It was a bit frightening. Yeah. Asbestos abatement is really expensive. And, and Mo's even pointed out that, and I, I shouldn't steal his thunder here, but that in, in La Misa, but I'm going to anyway, see how I did that. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's buildings that are just standing there because it's cheaper to build something new than it is to go through the abatement process on an existing building. I will point out though, that those are government buildings. So they don't have to do anything with the property. They're just standing there. <laughs> yeah, I drive by that one almost every day. You Like the doors are all chained up and you can see a sign just inside the glass doors, you know, condemned for asbestos. It's a, it's a constant reminder. Yeah. So, so in the example of your documentary, um, would Canada be a country that had already had four or five asbestos deaths? So they're not purchasing the product, but you, as long as you're safe, can produce it and export it. Right. That was an important part. It was part of the initial idea was that we had to make the state of Canada possible where, you know, we had so, enough deaths that we could, there was no demand for it locally, but you had workers that were in mines that were needing to produce, you know, for their welfare. So one more death, the, the public would not stand for it, but you had people that were, you know, they, they have to feed their families. So they're in the mines it must produce, it must, it must uh, continue to function. So that's the emerging market is India mm -hmm. in the game. So we're shipping in a country that has no demand for asbestos, but we still have all this infrastructure and we still are able to produce and, and, and we're able to refine it. Well, we need to sell it somewhere. So, you know, we put in India and India was just an example. I mean, there's other countries that will take the asbestos, but India was clearly yeah, I think about 50% of Canada's at the time was going to India. And the rest of it was going other countries. But, and, and you know, Mo was being a little bit nice. They're talking about the workers needing to, you know, work and, and get paid and stuff. But a lot of it, too, obviously, is when the government decided that we were getting, you know, that they were going to, hey, we're going to get rid of asbestos. You guys can't do this anymore. Uh, there was a lot of corporate lobbying that went on. Um, and, and, you know, the kind of shenanigans that, that our U.S. familiars, our listeners will be familiar with in terms of, lobby in Congress and stuff. And so they had to put in a grace period where they said, this is when we're cutting off, you know, your, your use in the country. This is when we're banning products. And then there's going to be this time to kind of wind down your mines and slowly shut them down. And then after this date, you won't even be able to mine it anymore. So it wasn't yeah. just an immediate cutoff. Uh, there was actually all of that. Let's wind it down. Let's, you know, you can either be as cynical or as uncynical about the process as you want in terms of how that government legislation came about. But that's what it was. It was a, a winding down and, and giving the, the corporations time to wrap up the business. Was that sort of political uh, overture ever a part of the game? Like say a country is about to close and if everyone invested their uh, pools 10 money, they can prevent it from closing? 
That sounds like another expansion. Yeah, that's something we've talked about since, uh, kind of. Something yeah, that's rattling the, around on future ideas. That's that's the one that's going to show up in the um, advent calendar. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a very specific story we were trying to tell, and we narrowed it down as far as we could, and then expanded a little bit. But we were we were about back down to the exploitation of the workers and the idea of being able to ship. Uh, being able to mine and mill asbestos in the country that you're in, but there be no demand. So uh, because of that, we didn't explore much Mm -hmm. further. Uh, And plus it's, it, we knew that it would be a different idea to make a game where we had a representation of a dead meeple. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have to be a meeple, but we knew that we needed to show a dead worker, and we knew that that would be jarring in and of yeah. itself. So the story needed to not be the full story right. yet. I, I do think that, for me at least, it has a sobering effect. You know, at the end of the game, looking down, and you can see on your board that those that row and piles of uh, workers that have died for the sake of your profits – um, were you ever tempted to moralize more about that? Maybe with the game systems, um, for example, by the company with the most deaths would lose, or, um, did you tinker with that sort of thing? I, I don't think that would work actually, but I'm just curious. Do you want to start this Lyndon? Cause me and Lyndon had some serious conversations with it uh, also with Brian, but me and Lyndon stayed up really late talking about this many times. Yeah. For me, it was very important that the game not do any of that um yeah go ahead mo while i collect my thoughts on it okay so um well firstly if we if we made it a a point thing like let's say agricola and you feed you feed your people or you don't feed your people and for every person you lose three points i believe it's three points i don't remember the game all that well it's been a long time but the idea is once you boil it down to that, a player is going to either decide, hey, I don't want to lose any points, or they're going to make it a calculation. And by by making that way more abstracted and hiding the numbers, it's on the player. The player decides, do I do it now? Do I do I kill workers, or, or did I plan well enough? Um we're making it a decision on the player. We're not also not judging the player. We're, we're just saying, you know, do you do it? Do you not? And most are going to, if, if it's your first game or, or first few games, you're probably not going to pay for safety. At some point you're going to decide it's worth killing the workers to, to make a profit. Well, it was important to make that a decision on the player and not be calculated simply by can i afford three points right it was uh it was important to make it an actual an actual choice you know like in mo's example in agricola if you don't feed your people you're losing points and that's all there is to it there's not really the smart move or the the not feed your people strategy isn't something that legitimately exists and what we wanted to show is uh is you can pay for the safety of your people and win or you can choose not to and let the deaths mount up and win. And if that's going to be a real choice to the player as to how they want to play, 
then both of those paths have to be an open path to the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So by so by avoiding the moralizing, um, you kept it, let's say, a, a moral arithmetic instead of just points arithmetic. Right. It, it ungamifies the decision to pay for safety or not, and it puts it back on the player. Okay. But but at the same time, we also decided to make it a short-term gain. Uh, we let the players see it as a short-term gain to not pay for safety. But we also made sure that the long-term gain would be much harder to to accomplish. Right. And that was something we, we talked, we went back and forth about how we were going to do that in a game where it's possible, but it's extremely difficult, just like we looked at uh, dealing with asbestos in real, like it's, it's possible to do these things safely, but it takes longer and it, it takes a lot more work to make something yeah, sustainable. It takes a much different mindset than the person that's just going willy nilly through the business. Yeah. I think from the development standpoint, Dan, the kind of the key, one of the, I remember one of the key discussions we had about this was Mo saying, uh, and he hit on it earlier. I just want to emphasize it. He said, you have to make that math invisible. You have yeah. to take out the three point, you know, the, oh, if you lose a worker because you don't feed them, it's three points. You have to take that out. So it's not right there in your face when you do it. It's a long term thing and it's not visible. Yeah. Yeah. The more o- opaque that decision is, the more it feels like, for me, like a moral decision because you're not calculating, can I beat this person by three points or will this death cost me the game? by converting it to a point it's a it's a mindset do i want to play this game safely or unsafely do i want to play this game half safely half unsafely so it sounds like you do want your players to be asking moral questions both while they play and when they're finished with the game yeah and more or less it starts from the very beginning as to how you're going to conduct yourself in this game uh You know, the moment you don't pay for safety, either willfully or through a miscalculation, and you want to continue or start paying for safety, that's a detriment at that point because it's paying for those workers that aren't producing anything. So right from the very start, this question of the cost is is paramount. There's not a a period of, I'm going to dip my toe in the industry and figure out how it goes from there. No, it's like right there from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, whenever I read things about new players, they they think by reading the rules that you start off by um, not caring for safety and then in the late game you care Mm -hmm. about safety. And that is, I would say, that that strategy probably isn't as competitive as doing the exact opposite. And in fact, I would also say that to be competitive in this game, you have to watch the industry and then you have to make your decisions on how you will defeat what the industry is doing. So one of the things you mentioned was Canada. Um, So the game contains four countries. Now, is it, is it true um, that they are named after asbestos companies? (laughs) No comment. That that was the, that was the one. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> I, 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 for the fear okay. of being sued, I guess I don't know. I don't know if there's any kind of liability we would get. I to just that. know I that know. none of the country names are actual countries. 
There you where go. Any, so they each kind of have their own um, arrangement and feel. Um, I don't know if you've found this, and maybe this is just something I'm imagining, but I feel like there are different prevalent transport strategies, you know, ports that you want to claim and railways you want to block off with each. Um, were they modeled at all after countries and the shape of countries? Um, well, let's, I'll first start by saying that, uh, unlike Brian and Lyndon, I am very in, I'm not into player powers. So I, I wanted originally for the countries to all be the same country. They were all shaped the same. They all looked the exact same, uh, just because I wanted a very competitive environment where we all had, you know, uh, the same Mm -hmm. map to look at. So it didn't matter if you were alone in a country or if you joined somebody else, we're all basically dealing with the same geography, but it, because of Brian Linden and Uli, we, uh, they convinced me that we needed to change it. And I think for, for the good of the game, uh, probably not for the, for my personal preference, but for the good of the game, they're, they're different countries. And when we were developing the maps, I definitely looked at, at country geography and use that to influence the design as well as uh, like Linden is a very strong player when it comes to mining and milling. And then Brian's a very strong player in that same regard. And I'm more of a, of a, of a person who likes to mm-hmm. deal with transports. So I had to, I, I wanted to balance the countries to where you had a couple that were good for transport and a couple that were good for, for defense against transport, because that's, uh, I would say those are the predominant strategy. You have people who are going to mine and mill and go cross country then you have the person that's going to go right behind them and try to make the money mm-hmm. on what they're doing. So uh, what's, I, I would have to say that um, I could name specific country geography that influence each map, but in the future we, we might do something that actually models that country. So, you know, it kind of doesn't do any good to say, Hey, this country was modeled after that. Sure. And at some point, you know, it might be interesting to see, or or for some people, to to have it all where we have the maps that we started with, where everything was exactly the same. So it is more of the level playing field, or or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know if people would find that interesting or not, or just as an exercise, or something they'd want to even mess around with. But um, it was definitely something that changed. I, I can I can say that. Yeah, like uh, right up until publication, I was under the assumption that the original all four countries that are the same was going to be on the backs of those map tiles. And it wasn't until very late in the game that I realized that only the asymmetric maps were going to be part of the game. Well, I'm sure it was news for, I mean, old news for everyone else. I I just missed the boat on that decision. (laughs) You mentioned a game earlier um, that that I think is a fantastic game at showing the toll you mentioned an infamous traffic um were there any games um you could you can mention an infamous traffic if it had a specific effect but were there any games that had like that light bulb effect for you that maybe revealed um some inkling of what you wanted to accomplish with the cost um i'll start by saying that 
nothing is directly influenced. It was all more of a subconscious thing. I think at the time I was personally playing a lot of Age of Steam and really loving Age of Steam and, of course, uh, train games in general. Um, that was that was just an outside influence, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, this for me, there wasn't a direct influence per se. There was definitely times when Mo was like, hey, man, I think we need to do uh, this in the game. Uh, you know, this is my idea how to do it. And I'll be like, oh, that's similar to the way this other game does it. Or if we had no idea how to accomplish it, I'll be like, well, this other game does it this way. But even in all of those references and kind of cross-mapping in the brain how other games have done similar things, uh, we we tried to not you know, just straight up lift any mechanisms from any certain thing. I think for a, a style, there's two specific styles, like uh, looking at um, colon colony and how the turn is broken up and how in 18xx the turn is broken up where you have, you know, a stock round and an operations round. You know, we, we have an action round and then we have, you know, the actual operations of the round. Also, we have that middle round, which is similar to, I guess, stuff that it reminds me a little bit of uh, Craftsman, where we're we're buying our we're, we're trading in points for resources in each specific country. So we kind of do that backwards, where you need that in the first round. So that that's a lot like Craftsman, I guess, in um, in how it's laid in the phases. Yeah, I mean, what do you see in it, Dan? Well, I'm I'm just curious. Uh, you know, it's it's been very recent. I think that we've seen um, certain game designers. Um, Cole Worley is a notable one who have been doing uh, similar things to what the cost is doing, where the game is designed to be conscious of its human toll. Uh, so I, I was just curious if there was uh, a game, maybe maybe especially one I haven't heard of, that that had inspired you to follow that route. Well, I think we I think we talked about infamous traffic and we had played it and we, we I think we had talked about the I guess the social implications of a game like that being made and it allowed I guess it did allow a, a space for a game like this to come afterward um, but it was never something on the forefront that we we said okay this game deals with death so that so we can deal with death or it was more. It was more of a, a, a vacuum, I think, for us. We saw a vacuum in an economic game that we just felt that needed yeah. to be filled. Yeah, there's definitely shades of that. Like, for me, it's probably colonialism more than anything else that made me realize that there could be more in a game than just playing it. You know, uh, early on when I played colonialism, you know, the cards hit you first. You know, it's all blatant propaganda and whatnot. It was only later during our first play, like in the middle of it, that I'm like, oh, in order to extract any resources at all, we have to remove all the natives first. And that's kind mm-hmm. of a, yeah, that's that's an obvious thing there. That's a good point. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to throw in there? Anything uh, unresolved? Um, One of the things I personally find pretty curious about the game is the... Uh, is the number of compulsory actions. You remember how those come about, Mo? Like uh, not giving the players the option to not mine on a particular turn or not have to move? Uh, strangely enough, I think that was a lot of your well, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but uh, we, I just don't remember like where that 
Yes, where, where did we dig that up from that, that you had to act? Well, I think the problem occurred when we, we decided we were going to split what you do and taking the actions. We split those apart because of an earlier design that we had. It was really interesting to do that and to give players a space to react to actions they already knew that another player was going to take. But then also we had to execute those actions. So it just became, I think it just was a natural thing from executing the action, how that would play out. And um, I guess a lot of it has to do with wanting to make a transport strategy. You know, you kind of go back backwards from there. You have to decide, well, in order for this strategy to work, here's how it's going to have to work. So for that to work, this has to work. And then we just kept working on, on, on how, how all these things would, would tangle together to make this, this interesting like web of. Well, I think some of that too came from a discussion we had. I think it was, that might've been at my house about the investments um, and how we were going to, you know, was that going to be something you could choose to do at any time or, or when was that going to work in and, and how that would have to work? Um, and it just became part of that whole discussion. And then you guys, I think when you were driving that hour drive home together, had a lot of time to talk about it. Right. And I think also it was a real big need to not do what had been done. So, uh, in that we came up with a lot of ideas that mm-hmm. we hadn't seen before. And that was, that was extremely important. One of the things, so, so that's where the, uh, are they called investments? The upgrades? Is that where that came from? Yeah. Yes. And I love, yes. I love that as a sort of very soft catch up mechanism where if you feel, if you're a little bit behind early on and you're getting past a lot, you can invest a little bit and really force uh, you know, increase the efficiency of your mines or force people to take your rails. But that's also one of the things that if you are not playing safely, you will never get a chance to invest if other people are because you'll always have actions to do Yeah, and they won't. And so it's kind of like Lyndon was talking about earlier. It's one of those things you kind of have to decide right from the get-go that you're not going to have actions while other people do so that you can invest so if I want to have those actions when other people, or not have those actions, excuse me, when other people do, then how do I arrive at that point? Yeah. Right. And the, the other thing is that it also ties into the theme. If I am, you know, looking at short-term gains, then my equipment's getting old as I'm mining. As I'm, I'm doing these things in the short term, well, these people who are thinking more long-term they they reap the benefits of that idea. So my mining my mining equipment's getting old. I am not as efficient as I could be because I sacrificed the ability to do that mm-hmm. because I wanted money now. Thank you, Lyndon, Mo, and Brian for joining me tonight. Um, may I say I love the cost. This is one of my favorite games of the year by far. It may actually be my single favorite game of the year. Um. Congratulations on putting it together. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, we really appreciate your uh, your write up on it and and the further discussion that that brought into the oh. you know not just related to our game but into the hobby as a whole. Yeah, definitely, definitely great write up and the discussion that 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 generated was was amazing. It, it's it's cool that 
that we were a seed of some of what was been spoken about. Well, and I thank you very much, and I and I hope that that people continue to talk about it. So, just before we go, is there anything that we can expect uh, from you three in the coming months or years? Is there anything secret that you're working on? It sounds like maybe you're noodling over an expansion. I think we're definitely looking at expanding the game and looking at different areas. Because, I mean, the cost really tells the story, not of just asbestos. It tells the story of the exploitation of the worker and specifically in mining and refining. So, I mean, you can look across the board at, you know, you can look at copper, you can look at almost any mineral. It's it's going to be this a similar story. So mm-hmm. I would think that if we expand it, we are probably looking at other industries that have similar uh, things happening in it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you all so much. And uh, we'll talk to you later. 